If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith, host of the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at the very least as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and I answer your phone calls and respond to your tweets. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions and straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. All that and more. So listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. I'm Hannah Storm, and my new podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, chronicles my six decades in professional basketball, from growing up in the sport to becoming one of sports TV's first female broadcasters. Join me as I dig deep into the game's history, unearth some wild stories, and talk to my friends from the world of basketball, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley. It's been a wild ride, and now I get to take you with me. Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. A listener note, this story contains adult language and some graphic descriptions of violence. It's November on a sunny afternoon in Pennsylvania and I'm looking for answers a few hundred miles from home. All right, so it's a pretty November day in Pennsylvania where Ray Carruth now lives. And I'm headed there right now. I originally met Ray Carruth in 1997 when he was a first-round draft choice for the Carolina Panthers. I interviewed him a number of times back then. But two years later, the former NFL wide receiver was arrested on a murder charge involving the death of his pregnant girlfriend, Sharika Adams. Defendant Ray Lamar Carruth is guilty of conspiracy to commit murder of Sharika Adams. And since that time, despite all the reporting I've done and all the attempts I've made, I've not spoken face to face with Ray Carruth in 20 years. Former Carolina Panther Ray Carruth is out of prison and now out of the state. The Pennsylvania Board of Probation and Parole confirms Carruth is now under its supervision. Soon after Carruth was released from a North Carolina prison after serving nearly 19 years for conspiracy to commit murder, he relocated to Pennsylvania. Exactly where in Pennsylvania, no one seemed to know. But I figured out where he lives. And so on that late autumn afternoon, I traveled to the Keystone State to ring Ray Carruth's doorbell. To my surprise, what I'd hoped could be Carruth's first sit-down, face-to-face interview in nearly two decades quickly became something far more. A wide-ranging conversation between the two of us that spanned several weeks, in person, on the phone, through email, and by text. We talked about life here in 2018, from smartphones to social media to the many kinds of Cheerios that have been invented since he went to prison. We talked about Carruth's future as a free man and the history that will follow him wherever he goes. And of course, we talked about fatherhood and the child he had wanted dead. What would you do if you met your father? Uh, His son, Chancellor Lee. From the Charlotte Observer in McClatchy Studios, this is Carruth. I'm Scott Fowler, and this is the epilogue, Healing and the Road Ahead. Coming up, we'll take a look at the twists and turns that end here at Sampson Correctional Institute. October 22nd, 2018 was a cold morning in Clinton, North Carolina, some 200 miles east of Charlotte. 
At 4 a.m., the sky was clear outside Sampson Correctional Institution, but I couldn't see any stars through the dozens of lights being set up by local and national TV crews. Everyone was there to cover Ray Carruth's release after 19 years behind bars. Two people were conspicuously absent outside the prison that morning, Sandra and Chancellor Lee Adams, Sharika's mother, and the son Carruth tried to have killed. I'm still praying about where I'm going to be October 22nd. Sandra told us months before that she had mixed feelings about attending Carruth's release from prison. Part of me wants to be there, right there where he has to come past me, so he can acknowledge his son. And then there's part of me that just wants to be chilling out on a beach somewhere on October 22nd and uh, moving on with my life. Ultimately, Sandra and Chancellor Lee left Charlotte for a few days, telling me later that local TV coverage had been overwhelming. For the last 19 years, he has lived as Ray Wiggins, North Carolina. Every time she turned on the TV, she said she heard the sounds of her daughter dying. There in Clinton, the morning was quiet, except for all the portable generators the TV crews had brought with them. Prison officials wasted no time. Carruth could legally be released as early as 8 a.m. on October 22nd, and at 8.02 a.m., inmate number 0712822 appeared about 40 yards away from the media in a black leather jacket, a white T-shirt, and a black skull cap. I'm going to step out of the shot here so everybody has a view. He is being escorted by several different people. You'll be able to see him with a clear image in just a couple seconds. He walked a few yards to a waiting Chevy Tahoe, chauffeured by a car service his family had hired. He exchanged a few words with prison officials, climbed into the back seat of the SUV, and the driver sped away. Carruth didn't speak to the media, so I taped a few of my own thoughts with producers Matt Walsh and Jeff Siner. They had also made the drive to Clinton. So it's about 8.30 a.m., and Ray Carruth just walked out of prison. He's 44 now. Wherever he's going to live, which we're not sure where it is, but he has to have a post-release program, which includes regular visits to someone who's sort of like a parole officer, basically. I thought he wouldn't talk, and he didn't. He walked directly out of this little brick building, about 20 or 30 yards, and then he went out through the gate, and he is gone. Carruth's release was national news everywhere, from NPR. Maybe hard to remember just how shocking it was back in 1999 when Carolina Panthers wide receiver Ray Carruth was charged with to CNN. Former NFL star and ex-Carolina Panther, Ray Carruth is now a free man, walking out of a North Carolina prison this morning. After it caused people to remember where they were 20 years ago when those details surrounding Sharika's death had first come to light. Ray Carruth! Who helped plan the goddamn escape? Comedian Steve Harvey had that famous riff in the original Kings of Comedy about Carruth being found in the trunk of a car running from authorities in 1999. Was this not the ignorant you ever seen? Normally what you try to say is a person do their time, they get out, they deserve a second chance. Right. Mm -hmm. Because we can't just throw people away. The day after Carruth's release, Harvey reflected on that with his co-host on his national radio show. This one right here is different, man. Mm -hmm. I wrote a a joke about this guy hiding and why he thought he was going to get away with this. When you're running from the law, you want to get a passport. Ray Ray took his ass to Nashville. Like they ain't going to spot your black ass in Nashville. You know, I've forgotten all about the joke. He gets out today. Man, do you know how much living we've done? It's almost 19 years. Before his release, I'd been told Carruth might head back to Sacramento, where he grew up. But two days after he got out, TMZ was the first to report something unexpected. Former Carolina Panther Ray Carruth is out of prison and now out of the state. 
the Pennsylvania board. A spokeswoman for the Pennsylvania Department of Corrections confirmed that information to me, but she wouldn't say exactly where in the state Carruth was or who he was living with. Sandra Adams was equally confused by the move. Yes, that's, that's, that's good for me. It is, yeah. because I thought he was going to Texas or California, maybe. Yeah. But as long as Ray Carruth was more than 400 miles away from her and her grandson, Sandra told me later the reasons why hardly mattered. All of it's still farther away from North Carolina, and I think that gives me a better sense of security. And not that I'm afraid of him, but I don't want even the thought of him popping up at my door. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith. When I'm not at my day job, first tape, you can find me in my studio hosting the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, at the very least, as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and politics. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions on those nauseating cowboy fans, the chaos in Washington, D.C., and trending topics on social media, as well as my straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. And I occasionally give out love advice. Yes, it's true. If you want to know my true feelings about something, I'll give it to you straight. So listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. I'm Hannah Storm, and my podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, digs deep into the history of professional basketball, along with my own as one of the first female sportscasters. Now let's get you up to speed on what else happened around the NBA today. We talked to all sorts of people I interacted with, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley, and recap iconic moments. Yes, he's got it. Here he comes. Ray rocked the baby to sleep and slam dunk. As well as some of the wild stories behind the scenes. We were like, what? What are we in for? The scoreboard crashes before we even tip a game off. Today, the NBA is a global sports and entertainment giant. Players are multimillionaires and cultural icons. Iguodala to Curry, back to Iguodala, up for the layup. Oh, blocked by James. LeBron James. And these stories are about how we got here, both on and off the court. And what's next? Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storr on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Six days after Ray Carruth's release from prison, Sandra and Chancellor Lee did something they've never done before. Thanks to a Carolina Panthers season ticket holder who lives in Charlotte. My name is Jason Underwood. I'm 48, and I'm a finance manager at Duke Energy. My wife, Angelica, uh, and I have been married 14 years, and my son, Alexander, is 13, and been taking him to games since he was a toddler, and he was afraid of the flyover planes and <laughs> screaming to take him out of the stadium. And, and then I have a seven-year-old daughter, uh, Gabriella. Underwood has been to hundreds of Panthers games. In 1999, he lived about an hour and 15 minutes away from Charlotte when Sharika was shot. And I just remember following it day by day and just almost hoping that it wasn't him, that someone would actually do something like that. You know, before Sharika died, there were all kinds of stories being floated. And up until he flew and got into the trunk, I held out hope that it wasn't him. But when that happened, I think we all just knew an innocent person doesn't do that. I'd never met Underwood until recently. Hi. 
Glad to finally talk to you. Alexander. Sandra and Chancellor Lee had only met him a few years ago, but that's when Underwood decided he wanted to do something for them. In 2015, I believe that was when the first article in your series came out. And I couldn't believe it. You know, I, I think I reread the article about three times just because I was incredulous that someone could be this forgiving, could have this level of grace. And then shortly after that, we were sitting in the Duke Energy seats at a Panther-Tampa Bay game. And of course, this was 2015, the year that they had the run to the Super Bowl. And we were right behind them. And if it, probably if it hadn't been for that, that article, I wouldn't have recognized. And so, you know, I leaned forward and I said, are you who I think you are? And then she didn't immediately respond. She just kind of sized me up, you know, I'm sure she's approached 50 times a day. And she just kind of nodded, yes, yes, I believe so. That conversation began a friendship that continues to this day. Underwood and the Adamses have gotten together several times to attend a preseason Panthers game or to share a meal. Underwood didn't really understand why the Panthers weren't more proactive with the Adamses, who after all had been tragically affected by the team drafting Carruth in 1997 and bringing him to Charlotte in the first place. So for the past few years, Underwood has been in touch with Riley Fields, the Panthers' director of community relations. I know that he wanted to provide a game day experience for them. And the prior season, back in 17, I think there was the hope that maybe he was going to come to a game and then Chancellor was ill or something like that. And it just, it just never happened. So Fields has been working for the Panthers since 2003, about two years after Carruth was convicted of conspiracy to commit murder. Fields had never met the Adamses, but after talking to Underwood, he wanted to do something for the family, too. So when Underwood told Fields he planned to bring Sandra and Chancellor Lee to a game this past October, Fields decided to supersize the visit. Jason reached back out. He wanted to still kind of follow through, I think, on the promise that he had made to, to Sandra and bring them to a game and um, kind of describe what they were doing that day. And, and I thought that we had an opportunity maybe to provide a little bit of an enhancement to what Chancellor's experience could be on that day. So it was uh, started with the efforts of, I would say, a good Samaritan. And um, it just picked up a little bit of momentum from that point on. I was covering the game on October 28th when the Panthers hosted the Baltimore Ravens. I met Jason and his son and Sandra and Chancellor Lee outside the gates at Bank of America Stadium. Whoa, you got your Cam Newton jersey on. They had all just come from breakfast together, and Chancellor wore a brand new Cam Newton jersey. We win it. Good luck. You look awfully dapper yourself. Oh, look at you. Thank you. Uh-huh. I had to dress up a little bit. Instead of heading to their seats, however, we all met Fields, and he walked them through the players' tunnel. We're going to step right through here. Right out onto the field. Where Chancellor Lee's father had once heard the roar of 70,000 fans cheering for him. I've got goosebumps as we're sitting here talking about it. When Chancellor came out of the tunnel, everyone on the sidelines was like, whoa, and he got applause. People in the stands, there was applause. There was just support for him because I think there's a light that radiates out of him. And to have people celebrate him in that moment For almost an hour, Sandra and Chancellor Lee stood on the field while the Panthers warmed up. Fields hadn't told the players they were coming, and not all of them knew the story anyway. On the chaotic night Chancellor Lee was born in 1999, most of the players on this team were still in elementary school. But some of them still recognized the team's special guests and made it a point to welcome them. Pro Bowl center Ryan Khalil is a dad himself. Yeah, I was familiar with the story, and it's a situation that I couldn't possibly fathom. I got to go over there and meet the family and, and seem like a great kid. So. I like that jersey. That's my favorite player right there. He came over to the Adamses twice, the second time to offer Chancellor Lee a gift. Oh, look at oh, thank you. We 
usually have an extra ball at the end of our individual period, so and I've usually given it out to kids around the sidelines, so I thought it would be a great opportunity to give him ball. Look at you holding that ball, Panthers safety Mike Adams isn't related to Sandra or Chancellor Lee, but seeing the last name Adams on his jersey still made Sandra feel like she had family on the field. I recognize him because he, to me, he looked just like Ray. When she said, Adams, Adams, you're Adams, you're my cousin, you're my cousin, then I went over there and then I'm like, oh, okay, yeah, we cousins. We cousins, right? It was humbling. Before I left, I gave him my gloves and, and everything. And you know, I, I was proud to just be in his presence. You know, it made me feel good. Then came another player visit from wide receiver Devin Funches. Fields and the rest of the Panthers just call him Funch. Several guys came over. And Funch was in his, I'm just going to say, full battle regalia. I mean, he had a helmet on. They're all padded up. I mean, it's, it's a pretty spectacular sight. And then certainly someone like Devin, who's 6'3", 6'4", they look like superheroes in, in, in some sense. And he came over and um, handed Chancellor his gloves and got down, said a few things to him. And, you know, then he was off. Chancellor's holding the gloves. And he just said... Wow. And just out of nowhere, he turned and I could feel him looking at me and I, I, I looked down at him and he just says, thank you. That it was just, I mean, that was not expected of him. He did not have to say that. That was just, um, it's the good stuff. Wow. It's good stuff. Sandra's favorite visit on the sideline came from someone who wouldn't be playing that day. Hedge fund billionaire David Tepper bought the team from Jerry Richardson this past summer. Tepper has talked publicly about growing up with an abusive father. He specifically wanted to introduce himself to the Adamses, and then the three of them took a photo together. The NFL, about four plus years ago, found ourselves in a complicated situation and facing a lot of challenges and made a decision to be part of the solution on domestic violence and sexual assault. Anna Isaacson is the NFL's Senior Vice President for Social Responsibility. She told me recently about how the NFL is trying to better educate players and society at large about domestic violence. And we've been looking at it through a couple of different lenses handling discipline in a certain way, but also really focusing on survivors and family members and providing resources when people find themselves in situations dealing with violence. All of that sounds like great ideas, and very little of it was probably in place in 1999 when Ray Carruth's conspiracy first surfaced. Uh, I think there's a better understanding. I honestly think that there was a lack of understanding of how pervasive the issues were, of why people find themselves in these situations, what leads to it, what are the, the warning signs. I think hearing from survivors and telling their story helps people to see that this goes on everywhere. And when you're hearing someone speak emotionally of the real impact that it's had on their family, I mean, of course I find it incredibly powerful and moving, but I just think it moves people in a different way. About 90 minutes later, I caught up with Sandra in the stands. Oh, it was definitely awesome. Chancellor got to uh, take pictures with lots of the players, and the owner came over and took a picture It was huge. And I just told him, thank you, thank you. The team upgraded their seats for a better view. And after the Panthers' first touchdown, Caffrey, 10, 5, touchdown. The in-house TV cameras showed Sandra and Chancellor Lee on the huge video scoreboards. They had our names up on the thing when we were walking in. Oh, look at this! It's empty now! I can't get it! Where is it? Oh, my God! Oh, oh, oh! Oh, my God! 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 I gotta get it! Where's my camera? And the crowd went crazy. Wow! Wow! 
Even the players on the field heard the noise level change then, including all-pro linebacker Luke Keekley. You know, I didn't, I didn't have a chance to meet him, but they showed him on the Jumbotron, and he was, he was smiling big time, and, and you could just hear, hear the crowd react when, when they showed him on there. He was happy, he was excited, and uh, really got the crowd going. I tried to ask Chancellor Lee about the experience, but Panther fans kept coming by, anxious to meet him. One after another, they asked for photos with the Adamses, or simply wanted to tell them how inspirational they were. So we've been saying yes, of yeah, course. Chancellor Lee just kept smiling. It kind of accelerated when they got on the Jumbotron, you know, because not a lot of people may have known. Underwood had a front row seat as Sandra and her grandson were approached over and over. I'd say 40 or 50. Some, some of the people, they were just there to tell her how inspired they were. And, and yeah, they generally wanted a picture, but, you know, Sandra just, I mean, she just one after the other. Okay, okay, okay. Thank you so much. And those conversations always became more than just a quick hello. That's right. Even 13-year-old Alexander Underwood found that when you ask Sandra how she's doing, you often end up talking a lot about yourself. Oh, she's so kind. She always wants to know more about everybody else. You know, I thought somebody that would, you know, was in the papers and everything would act differently. But no, she's just like one of us, but way kinder. In my time with the Adamses over the years, I've often seen Sandra be hesitant about strangers wanting to interact with Chancellor Lee. But on this day, all the interactions were positive. Sandra made sure of that. I really still want to thank the Panthers and their staff about how smoothly everything went. And and I felt like that was my time to really give back to the community because people have been praying for us and really encouraging us for all these years and this was just my way of saying come on welcome in you know in the past I'd been a little reluctant about everybody taking pictures of Chancellor and everything but you know this was my chance to show our hearts and to give back and say hey sure you know come on take a picture with us we're glad to be here you know it really made him feel special and especially being so close to his birthday as well That was like a treat for him. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic Gymnastics, Cain Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith. When I'm not at my day job, first tape, you can find me in my studio hosting the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at the very least as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and politics. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions on those nauseating cowboy fans, the chaos in Washington, D.C., and trending topics on social media, as well as my straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. And I occasionally give out love advice. Yes, it's true. If you want to know my true feelings about something, I'll give it to you straight. So listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. I'm Hannah Storm, and my podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, digs deep into the history of professional basketball, along with my own as one of the first female sportscasters. Now let's get you up to speed on what else happened around the NBA today. We talked to all sorts of people I interacted with, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley, and recap iconic moments. Yes, he's got it. Here he comes. Ray rocked the baby to sleep and slammed up. As well as some of the wild stories behind the scenes. We were like, what? What are we in for? The scoreboard crashes before we even tip a game off. Today, the NBA is a global sports and entertainment giant. 
players are multimillionaires and cultural icons. Iguodala to Curry, back to Iguodala, up for the layup. Oh, blocked by James. LeBron James. And these stories are about how we got here, both on and off the court. And what's next? Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storr on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. After Sandra and Chancellor Lee's great day at the stadium, it seemed like at least one part of this saga had some closure. But after two decades of reporting, I felt like there was still something missing from this story. Carruth himself. All right, so it's a pretty November day in Pennsylvania where Ray Carruth now lives. Carruth hadn't returned my messages in months. But through a little more reporting, I had been able to figure out that he was living with a friend. So in November, I took a flight to Pennsylvania and I rented a car. And I'm headed there right now in a black Buick Regal. License plate. I recorded these notes while sitting in a parking lot near the highway. And so my plan is to just walk up to the door and knock on it and make sure that he doesn't want to speak to me. In fact, he hasn't done a lengthy sit-down interview about the events of 1999 and Sharik Adams' death, really, ever. But the closest he came was in 2001 when he talked to CNNSI. Ray, did you conspire to murder Sharika Adams and your unborn son? No, I did not. I was not there. I didn't see the shooting. I didn't hear any shots. I can't testify to anything that happened to Sharika on Ray Road. But even that story, he has changed some components of it through David Rudolph in this podcast. Uh, And this is sort of new information, I guess. At some point on Ray Road, Ray saw Van Brett Watkins pull out, and he panicked. He took off because he was afraid that Van Brett Watkins was coming to get him. I'm feeling a little bit nervous about this. Certainly he doesn't know that I'm coming. I drove to Carruth's house and parked in his empty driveway. I walked seven steps up to the glass storm door. Inside, the front door was open, and I could see a pair of small dogs that looked like chihuahuas barking like crazy. I rang the doorbell, and then the barking stopped. A silhouette appeared from around the corner, a muscular man about five foot ten. His head was freshly shaven. It was Ray Carruth. He opened the glass door and stepped outside, wearing a white t-shirt, red gym shorts, and Nike tennis shoes. I introduced myself, not really sure what he would do next, but really not expecting what he actually did. Carruth laughed. I had a feeling you might pop up sometime, he said. He asked me not to tell anyone where he lives, and I agreed. I apologized for showing up at his door unannounced. I explained that I didn't have his phone number and that I thought it was only fair to give him one more chance to talk before we finished a podcast that is named for him after all. He was silent for a moment, and then Carruth opened the door. Come on in, he said. I can't share Carruth's voice here, unfortunately, because he declined to let me record our conversation. He told me he's trying to rebuild his life quietly. But he pointed to his kitchen table. Have a seat, he told me. He did agree to let me share almost all of what we discussed over the next half hour about his past. The defendant, Ray Lamar Carruth. And his future. He got into that white SUV and now uh, it is unclear where he is off to. But his time here at Sampson Correctional Institute has come to an end. He sat across from me with that same half-smile I remembered from the day he got out of prison. He was holding a bottle of cleaner and a sponge. Carruth said he was getting ready for a visit from his mother, Theodre, who was flying in from California that night. I could see the kitchen had indeed been cleaned like someone expecting a visit from their mother. And when I mentioned I hadn't seen Theodre at the prison in October, Carruth confirmed this would be the first time they had seen each other since he got out. Something else stood out at that kitchen table. There were ten boxes of different kinds of Cheerios lined up directly in front of me in two rows of five. Caruth smiled when I asked about them. Okay, buddy, what's your favorite kind of Cheerios? Honey nuts. He said he'd seen an ad for the cereal while he was locked up, as he put it. 
In the commercial, an African-American dad is fixing his young son breakfast. But chocolate is my other favorite. But apple cinnamon is my favorite, too. Caruth told me the ad stayed with him on an emotional level. Okay, but what's your most favorite of all? Mm, The kind I have with you. Me too. He later put these thoughts in an email he said I could read here. Quote, The commercial had sentimental value, mainly because of the content, though, not necessarily the color of the actor's skin. I guess it resonated with me because it was the kind of moment I'm sure every man would love to have with his child. It was a poignant reminder of what I was missing out with on my own children, the closeness, the moments, and the memories. End quote. Caruso said he has a job lined up, though it's one he can do on his laptop from his home. In fact, in our conversation, Caruth said he doesn't leave the house much yet. He said he has found a nearby gym where he can keep up the two hours a day, six days a week regimen he developed in prison. Pat Summerall with John Madden. And John, let's talk about the troubled Carolina Panthers. First of all, he said he weighs 202 pounds, only two pounds over his NFL playing weight. And sitting there in the kitchen, he certainly looked like it. Unlike players with longer careers, Carruth said he'd suffered no adverse health effects from his time in the NFL, though he said he wonders about concussions and that, quote, I once got hit so hard I couldn't close my eyes. A teammate slapped me upside the helmet with full force and my vision was restored. My eyelids had been flipped inside out, end quote. On Fridays, he goes to pray at a nearby mosque. Karuth converted to Islam in prison, and he said that he leaves the mosque each time, quote, awestruck. But Karuth knows he's a man with a past. He wears a black rubber bracelet that his mother gave him. On it are the numbers 12-15-99 and 10-22-18, the dates of his incarceration. On the other side are the words, never forget. He said his mother wears a copy of the same bracelet. And if Caruth has learned anything about social media since his release from prison, it's that some people have very strong feelings about him. It's only a matter of time, he said, before someone snaps a photo of him at the grocery store or at the gym, and it's all over Facebook or Twitter. But one day, he said, he hopes to live a more normal life. He wants to join a bowling league, because once upon a time, Caruth was good at that sport, too. He had his own shoes and a customized red ball engraved with the word Sugar Ray, with sugar spelled S-U-G-A. He said he still enjoys softball, a sport he played recreationally in Charlotte and then again in prison. Cruz says he loved playing center field, partly because it was the only time he had so much open space to roam. He said he's using this time on parole to gauge whether or not any of that will be possible here. If not, Caruth told me he'll make arrangements to leave the country. The first shades of normalcy are returning. It had been so long since he'd been in a car, he said, Caruth often got car sick in his first few weeks after release. Driving again was important to him, but his license expired long ago while he was in prison. Getting a new one became an early way he's had to start over. And I literally could see how proud Caruth was when he passed the test for his Pennsylvania learner's permit the other day. He texted me a photo of himself standing outside in the driving snow. He's wearing a bushy hat, a heavy coat, and a huge grin, holding up his new permit and pointing to it. Ma'am, where's your husband at? I don't have one. Clearly, in our conversation since his release, Caruth prefers to talk about now instead of then. He steadfastly refused to discuss Sharika Adams' death, saying it would do no good for anyone. He has never admitted to hiring Van Brett Watkins to shoot Sharika, although Caruth's lawyer told me in August that Caruth no longer feels the jury got the verdict wrong. I think in some strange way the jury sort of figured it out and sort of compromised to a place that 
you know, even Ray can accept, okay, I'm responsible for this situation, so I needed to pay a price. I told Carruth that I spent several hours in prison with Watkins for this podcast, and that Watkins told me he wanted Carruth dead. What do you feel about Ray Carruth now? I'm trying to figure out a way to kill him. Carruth told me he's aware. He said he didn't want to delve into those threats, although he is tired of Watkins blaming him for making Watkins pull the trigger in the drive-by shooting. He's obviously a very angry and disturbed man who doesn't seem to care too much for me, Carruth wrote. If I could tell him one thing, it would be that we must all accept responsibility for the decisions we make in life. He and he alone is accountable for the situation he finds himself in, not me. I wish him nothing but inner peace. Carruth says he's found that peace himself. He wrote to me that, quote, I've forgiven myself for any and all wrongdoing that I've done in the past, and I'm simply trying to live my life as peacefully and gracefully as I possibly can, end quote. But whether or not his future will ever include his disabled son, whether or not Carruth will ever have his own Cheerios moment with Chancellor Lee is perhaps the biggest unknown. For years, Sandra had requested visitation papers from Carruth so that she could bring his son to meet him in prison. Carruth dragged his feet, and the dynamic irritated Sandra. I am not going to keep begging a killer to want to be part of my grandson's life. Shortly before his release, Carruth finally did send the papers, but by then, Sandra and Chancellor Lee had changed their minds and decided not to go. Carruth told me he would like to be in Chancellor Lee's life, but that he's also not going to force the issue. He asked me to relay that message to Sandra, and then he wrote down his phone number so I could tell him what she said. There in his kitchen, he was more pleasant than I often am when a stranger comes to my door wanting something from me. He was charming at times. He laughed a lot, often at his own expense. I'm not sure what I expected, but that wasn't it. And see, that's the thing about it. Like, when I watch shows that tell his story... It reminded me of what his friend Monique Young told me. He just had that type of personality. Very funny and silly. You know, people may not know that, but he's very funny and silly. Yet, for the rest of his life, Carruth will also be a convicted felon who served nearly 19 years in connection with Sharika's death. As much as he's excited about his second chance, Carruth knows the impacts of his actions are permanent. Had he just been manipulating me, or had prison really changed him? Was he going to become a productive member of society? Would he ever see the Adamses? And how would Sandra react when I told her I had finally seen Carruth in person after all these years? After half an hour, I could tell Carruth was being polite, but also ready for me to go. I thanked Ray Carruth for his time, and he sent me on my way with a bottle of water from his refrigerator. So I just left Ray Carruth's house, and we had a long conversation at his kitchen table. He was quite surprised to see me. With that, I headed home. Soon after my trip to Pennsylvania, I met Sandra and Chancellor Lee at a park near their home in Charlotte. Sandra and I sat at a picnic table under an awning. Chancellor Lee had just gotten picked up from school, and he decided to stay in the car and listen to the radio. I hadn't told Sandra that I had gone to see Carruth, but she knows how long I've covered this story, and she's a smart lady. I said, did you go up there to interview him? <laughs> you know what? You were you were you closer than the mark than you even thought you were. Yes, I did. Did you? Good. First, I gave Sandra another letter that Van Brett Watkins had sent me from prison. This one after the hitman had seen the print series that accompanied this podcast. On one corner of the envelope, the man who shot Sharika had drawn a picture of himself in prison. In the drawing, he hung upside down by shackles from a cinder block wall. He pinned some of his nicknames on the picture, too. Serial killer. Hitman. New York. In the letter, he again contrasted his inability to forgive Carruth with Sandra's ability to move on following her daughter's death. Mostly, the letter was like every other letter Watkins has sent me before Carruth's release. 
And in that way, it reinforced how little might change for the Adamses now that Chancellor Lee's father is a free man. I really see our lives going on just like it had been in the past. Mm-hmm. Ray is not in North Carolina. I don't think he will be coming to North Carolina. Nothing's changed with that. So I see us going on and just continuing the work that we do, advocating for peace. You know, and I can do that without even saying his name. Literally not to say his name. Literally not to say his name because I want the same respect. Mm -hmm. I don't think he has any reason to be saying my name or saying the name of Chancellor Lee Adams. Because for me, my main goal is that Chancellor knows nothing but love. So is he aware that his father is out of prison at this yes. point? Oh. He is He is aware that he's out of prison, and he knows that he's far away, and I've reassured him because he was very upset. He was very upset by the thought he was coming to take him away from me. And Chancellor doesn't normally cry. He actually cried and clung to me so much that I had to really just reassure him, nobody is taking you from me. You're not going anywhere. And so, you know, I think he's, he's settled back down into that comfort level he now. He understands mm-hmm. now. That's... I told her that Caruth was holding out hope for a relationship with his son and asked her what she thought. Give yeah. us time. Yes. And give us time. I'm not saying that I never want him to see Chancellor or meet Chancellor. I want to see where his head is because, you know, I'm doing my part. And really, I want him to just go ahead and live his life peacefully, and we're going to live our lives peacefully. We're just going to be concentrating on, you know, maybe giving to other people, making them feel mm-hmm. more at ease because we're kind of old pros at this. And, yeah. and, you know, sure. you never stop missing your loved ones. Of course. But for the families that have just lost loved ones, the feelings are really raw. So, you know, we're here to offer hope that, hey, life can go on. You can still have a smile ministry. You know, you can laugh and it's okay to move on because you're doing that in honor of your loved one. I mean, that's an important message probably for people who are listening to this, but Mm -hmm. they feel guilty if if something bad's happened, the death of a loved one, that, oh, I can never be happy again because that happened. And, And I think they do their loved one a greater disservice by doing that because you define their whole life by that moment that they departed rather than all the good that they did while they were living. And I think that just adds to Sharika's legacy. Absolutely. Because I said, you never really know how many people you are impacting. But the joy that I find in this is that what people meant for evil has turned out to be really, really good. It gave me a voice. It catapulted me into my purpose. And my life couldn't be more fulfilled. The following week, I called Caruth myself and told him what Sandra had said, including the part about his son crying. During a 41-minute phone call, Caruth reiterated to me that he would, quote, never in a million years try to separate them. Following our call, Caruth sent me several emails to more fully explain his thoughts and said those could be shared. He wrote, quote, When it comes to Miss Adams and Chancellor, my only desire is for true forgiveness and a genuine opportunity to be a part of my son's life. And out of respect for Miss Adams and her feelings towards me, I have no plans of ever trying to force my way in. I'm going to be patient and give her the space she rightfully deserves. When the time is right, I believe that Miss Adams will eventually extend an invitation for me to have contact with my son, and I will eagerly accept. I sense Caruth is being sincere about that. He told me that he's spoken on the phone with Ray Jr., his older son, whose mother was Caruth's high school sweetheart, every day since his release. He said that as soon as authorities in Pennsylvania will let him travel out of state, He plans to go visit that son. And in one of his recent emails, Caruth asked me this rhetorical question, which I've thought a lot about. Quote, question for you, and I'm not actually looking for a response. 
do you think that it's possible for a generally good person to get him or herself involved in a situation as heart-wrenchingly horrible as the one I was in? Or is it your belief that such a person could only be cut from the worst of molds? End quote. I suspect listeners of this podcast will have their own answers to that. I've received so much feedback to these first seven chapters, the vast majority about Sharika, Sandra, and Chancellor Lee, the heroes of this complicated story. People have told me how they admire Sharika's strength, Chancellor Lee's determination, and Sandra's grace. Through the darkness of nearly unimaginable loss, it is their light that shines in this story, guiding the road ahead for all of us. I'm Scott Fowler, and this podcast is produced by Jeff Siner and Rachel Wise and Davin Coburn at McClatchy Studios. Find lots more about this case at charlotteobserver.com slash Caruth. And for just $30, subscribe now to a full year of the Observer's award-winning sports coverage at charlotteobserver.com slash sportspass. Thank you to our nonprofit partners, No More, the National Coalition Against Domestic Violence, Safe Alliance, and the Children's Defense Fund. Leave us a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts, and you can reach me directly at sfowler at charlotteobserver.com. Thanks so much for listening. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith, host of the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at the very least as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and I answer your phone calls and respond to your tweets. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions and straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. All that and more. So listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app. Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. I'm Hannah Storm, and my new podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, chronicles my six decades in professional basketball, from growing up in the sport to becoming one of sports TV's first female broadcasters. Join me as I dig deep into the game's history, unearth some wild stories, and talk to my friends from the world of basketball, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley. It's been a wild ride, and now I get to take you with me. Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.